0: This morning, I want to share um, a little bit of my journey and experience. Um, when we met as a leadership team on Monday night um, and we were talking about what was happening in our world uh, currently, I uh, around racism, I mean, um, we talked about uh, this morning and continuing to explore these themes, um, continuing to learn, um continuing to to kind of understand our place and all that's happening. Um, and I immediately was like, oh, well, i'll I'll contact. I'll reach out and um find a person of color that could come and join us and speak to their experience. and and I do think that is really important to hear. like we we can only know what we know. we We didn't live it. Um but, As I began thinking about my own journey, I thought it might just be helpful, might be more helpful this morning um, to share my own story and what I have learned along the way. A few years ago when I was in Richmond, the church I was a member of, uh, did a a series on racism. We read books. We had people from the neighborhood, from the community to come in and speak to us and educate us. We even um, tried at-home conversations um, that were somewhat helpful. Um, As Nathaniel uh, said earlier this week, well, at least we had the conversation. Um, So... uh, (laughs) but I remember attending one of the training sessions and having my eyes just opened. Um, I knew that I didn't agree with racism. I believed everyone should have equal opportunity and should be treated the same, but I had no idea how the cards were stacked against black Americans. I had no idea how white supremacy ran through our systems still and how actions that were deliberately taken by the government, by um, financial institutions, um, were continuing to have an effect uh, on those communities. I think that most of us would be easily able to say that Slavery is bad. Um, But what I didn't know much about was what had happened since then, Um, beyond just the civil rights movement. I, I didn't know about some of the things that we just don't talk about in school, that we don't talk about as we're growing up. One of the things that that I learned was um, that I I know that I knew, um, but that Article One of our Constitution says that uh, a black person is only three fifths of a person. They only counted as three fifths of a person when it came to taxes and um and like a, a count of the population, and that shapes how that is part of our constitution. Um, It shapes how we continue to see those folks. Um, It shapes um, who we are. That is a document that we know is foundational for who we are as a country. Um, The 13th amendment adopted in late 1865 abolished slavery. We know that, but as white Southerners gradually reestablished civil authority, Uh, In those Confederate states in 1865 and 1866, they they created a series of laws known as Black Codes, which were designed to restrict black people's activity, thus ensuring that they could still be available as a cheap labor force. I learned that the 15th Amendment adopted in 1870 guaranteed that a, a male citizen's right to vote would not be denied on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. But that as Black Americans won elections to Southern state governments and and even to the U.S. Congress, it made white folks nervous. And so we saw a rise of groups like the Ku Klux Klan that sought to disenfranchise Black voters by voter fraud, intimidation, as well as means of more extreme violence. By 1877, when the last federal soldiers left the South and Reconstruction officially came to a close, Black Americans had seen very little improvement in their economic and social status. And what political gains they had made had been wiped away by the vigorous efforts of the white supremacist forces throughout the region. I've learned more about Jim Crow laws, By 1885, most Southern states had laws requiring separate schools for black and white students. And by 1900, persons of colors were required to be separated from white people in railroad cars and depots, hotels, theaters, restaurants, barbershops, and other establishments, along with the water fountains that I grew up seeing the pictures of. And while all these things were said to be lawful and deemed separate but equal. There was nothing equal about any of it. I learned about redlining. That was a completely new, uh, new knowledge for me uh, that was just shared in that video. I'd never heard about it. I learned that districts were marked off for white and black families using red lines on a map. This meant that there were areas where black families could not live, where money would not be given for buying a house or for development. We still have neighborhoods that have suffered from having no funding for home ownership and improvement. Areas that suffer from no funding for businesses coming into the area, including grocery stores. The bad part of town continued to be the bad part of town by intentional decisions that banks and political leadership made. Redlining did not end until 1968 just eight years before I was born, and a law does not repair generations of lost wealth and earning potential. I learned that many black people who tried to vote or or move up in their careers or make something of themselves were often punished by white supremacist groups, rocks thrown in the windows of their home, violence enacted against them and their families. Crosses set on fire in their front yards and sometimes they were lynched and left hanging for others to see. There are pictures of families standing around having parties around a lynched body, including children. I've learned that we continue to stack the cards against African-Americans and then wonder why they can't make more of themselves, why they're violent. I used to assume that those who were beaten by police or fear police or killed by police must have done something to deserve that. I looked at it through my own lens, my own experience, but this week alone, I have had friends that I've never heard speak about it, share stories of how they were threatened, mistreated, and beaten by police without any provocation. I have trouble understanding that because it's not my reality. Those videos we see where the police do something awful, I grow up believing there must be some reason for that. Again, this week, I've learned that some of my African-American friends know that it doesn't matter how good you are, how educated you are, how affluent you are. When you are black, you constantly live in fear of what police might do to you. I've learned that a black person who commits a crime is more likely to serve a longer term in prison and more likely to be arrested. Black women are more likely to die in childbirth at a rate of two and a half times that of white women. Candidates for jobs with black sounding names are less likely to get an interview and of course the job. This week I've learned that sometimes white supremacy groups will take advantage of protests to loot and damage property further oppressing those who are oppressed. I've learned and I've seen the footage that sometimes police will manipulate a situation to arrest, harm, and torture those who are protesting. We've been taught, I've been taught my whole life, who to believe, who's on the right side of everything. And it costs us to do the hard work of learning another story that maybe it wasn't as black and white as I saw it to be. This week, in one of the face group book groups that I'm in for uh, sermon planning, someone commented on the scripture passage that was read earlier and said, well, what if he didn't really want to be healed? He just asked for money. What do we do about all the people that just keep coming and wanting money to help them and really don't want to fix their situation? What if he'd said he didn't want to be well, didn't want to be healed? this comes from that idea that people just want a handout. they don't really want to fix their situation if they wanted to fix their situation they just do it i i know i believed and i think a lot of us believe sometimes that about african americans i want to flip that question on us though as i kept thinking about that post this week i i saw it as a different level of meaning i think it's easy for us as white people To look for a handout something that makes us feel comfortable right now we're looking for a quick fix to a problem that is embedded in article one of our constitution (laughs) we're looking for something easy to understand the good guys and the bad guys and maybe we don't want it that easy to fix but but we know that this what we're feeling at this moment is uncomfortable it's uncomfortable not to know whose side to be on and it creates anxiety We're at a point in history, really beyond a point in history, where we have to answer the question, do we want to be healed? Or do we want a handout that just makes us feel better right now? A few years ago, when I first moved to Richmond, I joined a gym. They give you this free session, free in air quotes, with one of their trainers on staff. And they highly encourage you to take advantage of this because that trainer is going to be the one that shows you how to use all of the equipment in the gym and and what, what's offered and help you to create a plan. And so after taking me through all the round of exercises, my wannabe trainer took me to the little his little tiny office as they do and asked me a round of questions. What were my fitness goals? How quickly did I want to achieve them? Of course, I said I wanted to become stronger after some injuries that I'd had a year before I moved to Richmond. I fell down my stairs, um, and uh, it resulted in some surgery and broken bones, and that's the story for another time. But I wanted to be stronger. Of course, I said I wanted to lose weight, and I wanted to become around all around healthier. Um, It wasn't just about a number on a scale, but getting back to a place of feeling stronger, feeling healthier. But because the weight thing was the one thing he could hone in on with a fixed number, he asked how much I wanted to lose. And I I gave him a figure that nags in the back of my mind, but I rarely ever actually see. Then he asked me a question that stuck with me. On a scale of one to ten, how important is it for you to achieve your fitness goals? It is one thing to say this is important to me, but it is another thing to rate its importance in my life, especially the markers that he had locked into. Because if I'm honest, I say those things are important, but, but I don't really live like it's a 10 of importance in my life. Of course, he was using the question to try to pressure me to sign up for personal training with him. Um, He said that he would suggest me working out with him twice a week, uh, every week, an hour at a time at $100 an hour. And my thought was like, who has an an extra $800 just like laying around uh, every month? I I know that he was just trying to make a living, and I'm not going to begrudge him of that, but he did look at me like I was absolutely crazy when I didn't want to sign up with him immediately, right there on the spot. But that question keeps sticking in my mind over the years. On a scale of one to 10, how important is it to you? I think as white Christians in America, we have to answer these questions this morning. Do we want to be healed? Do we want our country to be healed? Do we really want equality and how much do we want it? How important is it? Even when we may feel fatigued about the topic and and ready to move on to something else. We don't have to fix all the things at once, but we have to be willing to take that next first step. We have to say we want to be healed. We, We have to say this is important to us. We have to unlearn what we new we have to get uncomfortable healing is always uncomfortable we have to learn and be willing to grow we have to be quiet and willing to listen we have to make it a priority because this is not just a side cause this is an issue that's at the bedrock and foundation of our society we have to use our voices to speak up someone commented On one of my Facebook posts this week with can't we just say we should love all people and then that covers everything and I would say to that a resounding yes if I was going to respond to that I did not Um, but I think right now that means learning how to love our black brothers and sisters the best that we can they are and have been harmed by our society it was their oppression on their backs that we built America. And for too long the church has just wanted to, to pray or do a little program in a bad neighborhood. And those things are good. Prayer is critical. <laughs> but for too long we've wanted peace. But it's it's a cheap peace. It's not enough to say that we want peace, that we want prayer when we're not working towards it. Peace always has feet. We can also pray with our feet. I've seen a lot of quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. this week, um, especially emphasizing how peaceful he was, but he also had to say this. I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizens council or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers, prefers a negative piece, which is the absence of tension to a positive piece, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action. Who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom. Who lives by a mythical concept of time. Who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. A book that I'm reading uh, from a black theologian, Drew Halt, addresses how the church has perpetuated racism. He says, usually we don't see racism up close because of our weapons of mass distraction. I love that phrase. I want us to take advantage of losing our weapons of mass distraction because I think that's exactly what's happened. I've, I've been preaching that since March that in this season where we're not distracted by the same things, what's coming up for you? I'm calling for all of us to move forward, not with a negative piece, but a piece that comes from justice. I'm calling for all of us to learn and listen and not feel that we have to be the ones that are called to judge everything to determine who's right and wrong. I know for many of us from, from talking to you this week, these last two weeks feel exhausting. And I would say this morning that there is room for you to be against racism, but but also feel anger about looting. (laughs) You can be against violence and against defacing property. You can feel anxiety about COVID-19, about things happening in your life. Uh, You can experience joy. There's room for all of it. None of it has to be front and center. This morning, my prayer is that we can commit individually that we will do something, learn something, listen to someone and be willing to have our worldview shift. Our reflection this week will happen in the coming days. I'll be putting together some resources uh, for podcast books, articles, people to follow. You don't have to do all of the things. But my hope is that we do remember that it is a privilege to just learn about racism compared to actually experiencing it. And remember that we we follow a Jesus that cared for those on the margins who left the 99 to go get the one. May we follow in his footsteps. Let's pray. God, these last few months especially, we just feel exhausted as we come to worship, we've lost many of our comforts. We've lost the joy of being around some of the people that we care about, the things that we loved doing. Our worlds have been altered. But I think in that moment of discomfort, God, you can speak to us. I think you're stirring something in our culture. We've been saying that whatever this world looked like on the other side of coronavirus would be different than what it looked like going in. Help us to pay attention, to not get distracted, to not get so exhausted that we miss your movement, just like we talked about last week in Pentecost. Help us to have eyes to see where the fires of Pentecost are burning, where the spirit is moving. Help us to be willing to do the work that's required to to unlearn what we thought we knew to care about all of your children help us to know how to love each other best we ask all this in your name amen so as we close with just a few announcements i am going to be working uh at least it's sharing i follow some really